Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of a head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. In the next few weeks over this period, I would like to introduce new followers to some of the past guests of Heads Talk, and in parallel, some of the great conversations I've had with C-suites of multinationals about the topics of the day in their area of business. I do hope you enjoy this Look Back series, and I have enjoyed sharing the first set of Look Back episodes late last year and very early this year. Um, There will be two guests in each episode and they will be introduced accordingly. Okay, this first guest was such a delight to talk to. He's Bernard Dunn, um, affectionately known as Bernie to his mates, the then president of Boeing in the MENA region. I had a conversation with him before the actual recording of this episode, a great conversation. We had a great conversation during the episode. We had a great conversation after the the, the recording of the, the episode. Um, it, you know, we have kept in touch uh, since, um, watching each other's progress. And, you know, I admire Bernard, and I really enjoyed the, my conversation. Have a listen to some of his great insights. Yeah, the truth is we've been on this path for a long time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we've always been looking to future technologies, Elaine, and uh, always conducting research with, internally as well as with various partners, uh, mm-hmm. looking at even more highly efficient turbofan engines in addition to electric and hydrogen-powered airplanes. We've been working on hydrogen and fuel cell applications uh, for aviation mm-hmm. for over 15 years to include five flight demonstration programs. Yes. Uh, it, what we've learned is that electric and hydrogen technologies are unlikely to be ready for the next generation of single aisle airplanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, more, more work needs to be done. Uh, what, we are, what we're also doing is testing uncrewed electric powered aerial vehicles for passengers and cargo Mm-hmm. aimed at market segments that will reduce urban congestion and emissions from mm-hmm. vehicles on the ground. And so that, that's kind of in the area of uh, hydrogen and, and electric, but I, I can't leave the subject of cool things that Boeing has been doing for a while that uh, I can't leave that subject without mentioning our work in the field of uh, autonomous uh, uh, applications in, for aviation. Uh, and there are some really neat things that we've been doing. Uh, some of it is in the defense sector, if I could just depart there for a moment. Um, we have now developed, uh, tested, and flown what we call the MQ-25 Stingray. This is an unmanned aerial refueling system designed for naval applications. It looks like a big, bulbous aircraft. And the objective is that it supports U.S. Navy operations off of carriers far at sea where you cannot get back to land and fuel. And, um, and, and, and what happens is the, the aircraft uh, literally finds its way from the carrier where it's tanked up, up to where the, the, the aircraft are that are in the fight and need to be tanked. And then it flies its way back to the carrier. 
and it doesn't know whether it's day or night. It doesn't know whether there's a storm or it's a sunny day. And uh, it gets itself back onto that carrier, tanks up and flies off again. And it does this all uh, uh, autonomously. Uh, we made history with the MQ-25 uh, last June, uh, a month ago, being the first uh, unmanned aircraft to refuel another aircraft uh, autonomously. It safely, safely refueled a U.S. Navy F&A-18 Super Hornet. It can also refuel Boeing uh, EA-18G Growlers and Lockheed Martin F-35 fighters. So that happened last month. We're really proud of it. Another thing we've done in the defense space is what we call loyal wingman. It kind of looks like a fighter airplane, except it does not have a cockpit. It's autonomously flown. It's an uncrewed military aircraft designed uh, and manufactured in Boeing, Australia. Mm -hmm. Had its first test flight with the Australian Air Force in April of this year. It's an innovative new capability to complement and extend air power, combat, and missions. The first loyal wingman aircraft is serving as the foundation for the Boeing air power teaming system mm -hmm. being developed for various global defense customers. The aircraft flies alongside other platforms using artificial intelligence to team with existing crewed and uncrewed assets to complement mission capabilities. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like a fighter aircraft that flies along with you, except there's no pilot. It flies autonomously, conducts missions just as the crewed aircraft does, taking commands from the crewed aircraft or other sources. And uh, it just, uh, it, it's a combat multiplier for, uh, for what we're doing in the military side. And then uh, uh, back on the civilian side for a bit, but also under the autonomous category, uh, I'd like to mention that under our venture capital arm, which we call Horizon X, mm -hmm. we're investing in a few disruptive unmanned techno uh, technology companies such as WISC, uh, which is focused on shaping the future of urban air mobility. WISC is the first company in the United States to develop and successfully fly an autonomous, all-electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. It has completed over 1,500 full-scale flights since 2017 with zero incidents. Last year, WISC and the New Zealand government announced their partnership to trial an aircraft called Cora. This is the world's first autonomous air taxi and involves Boeing's subsidiary in C2 Pacific. Mm -hmm. We're partnered with these guys to do essentially uh, autonomous aerial taxis so we're we're quite proud of that and it's very cool stuff and i had to mention all of that oh that, that's absolutely fascinating it almost sounds borderline sci-fi and <laughs> um, this guest is an old colleague of mine uh, when we both worked at circo group we worked on one engagement together for well, the live me i can't even remember the client I, I think i think it was a big healthcare organization and we worked on a bid for service provision and even pitched together. Um, he's John Devil, the general manager for GE Healthcare, a true gentleman and one of a kind, so principled. Um, have a listen. Um, I'm looking at developments in this area and while I'm extremely fascinated by the progress uh, of what can be done, um, how do you balance this with human roles? I mean, should we worry about this in terms of certain roles being obsolete? No, I don't think so. Particularly, you know, G GE, we, we are very big in radiology, for example, and I, I'm sure that might lie behind the question to an extent. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think there's a worry there. I think that the nature of the profession is very likely to, to evolve using this new technology mm -hmm. to become where radiologists will in future become more like diagnosticians. Mm -hmm. In fact, I heard the chair of the European Society of Radiologists saying as much, so I feel quite comforted by that in making this assertion. But I think we should all face it, actually. And, and this is in the case, very much the case in, in the UK as elsewhere. We've got nowhere near enough trained radiologists to cope with the demand that we see already and can foresee. And AI can be a huge help to them, both in decision support in terms of making the decision, clinical, clinical decision support, and in prioritising the work in front of them. So... No, I, I don't think there is a worry, but I absolutely understand, of course, why some professionals might have that concern. So in, in the future, just say maybe in 10 years' time, I don't know, I'm, I might be at home, I might get up, I might have my morning daily check using a smart device, which I'm wearing or carrying in my hand, something like a home scanner or something like that. And this scanner might alert me that there is something that needs to be done, for example. Might ask, it would then ask me digitally, if I would like a remote consultation, and if I say yes, and it probably would be said, I wouldn't have to press any buttons, it would connect me very quickly with a real human I can see, who would be able to immediately help me to understand what's occurring. Mm. This is a, if it's a problem which cannot immediately be sorted out, you know, literally in the home. Mm -hmm. So we agree, me and the human that I can see, I guess, that I need a more detailed scan or whatever, than she, I'm gonna call her a she, can achieve remotely. So. AI is used to make the next available appointment, in the, in the, which is convenient to me with my digital schedule uh, and local to me. And this won't be in a hospital, but in a clinic or something like that. And there I go, and I will be no doubt wafted in my self-piloting car, I guess. Um, but um, there I'd be diagnosed within hours and referred for immediate treatment, assuming it's something serious. As much as possible is done in the at the clinic because this is the this is integrated care supported by digital but if it is serious i might automatically be directed to a specialist facility where for example those cell therapies that i mentioned before might be used to treat something serious very serious for me an illness or whatever which is tuned exactly to the way my body works and will react but the vast majority of the treatment for me most of the most of the times would be at home and it's quite unlikely that I'd need to stray further forward. Right. So this features the use of tele-technologies, yes. quite a lot of which exist already, teleconsultation, which exists already, advanced diagnostics, which exist already, highly tuned therapeutics, which exist already. And at no point do I have to put my information in more than once. So is that... Um, is that total health care? It's not a term I've heard before, but yes, it is integrated care. And absolutely, Elaine, it's not a dream. This happens already in places like Ribera Salud in Valencia in Spain. There are many other examples too. So it, it can be done, it will be done. I guess, as I said before, the world is bifurcated a bit into the world of haves and have not. So in advanced societies like the one we're fortunate to live in, mm -hmm. I think it's very likely to happen. Um, Mm. God so, and politicians willing. You know, when I thought of this question, this question, I thought, oh, this is so way into the future. Um, Ten years, if we're lucky, maybe fifteen years. But what I'm gathering from your answer, it's already happening. It's starting to happen. So that's, that's yes, it does happen. It doesn't happen. So there's quite a lot of. Um, it's very difficult to bring this all about. But as it's not really about the technology. 
technology is seldom an obstacle anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it is our ability as human beings and as professionals to adapt to it when a revolution in technology happens every 18 months or three years or whatever it is, mm -hmm. is far bigger a problem. And that, that's why it goes back to the business models and the behavioral change. Right. It's about human beings changing. Okay. Well, that's another topic which we will move swiftly away from. Um, let's <laughs> move on. <laughs> um, okay. Apparently, this next question is the most divisive question of 2020. It's regard to COVID-19 and the responses to it. The question is, is the cure worse than the disease? I think we're talking about, among other things, the, the economic impact here and the long-term effects of government decisions. Some would argue that economic death, social isolation, is a greater killer of humans than the disease itself. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that well-being in a holistic sense is as fundamental as physical health and i think that health of the mind is at least if not more as precious as well-being of the body mm -hmm. and we know that well-being is intimately associated with self-actualization as it used to be called when i learned about it achieved through work so therefore we have to maintain the foundation of an economy within which work is possible or we have completely lost it mm. i don't however think that well-being is achieved by wealth I do think it is achieved through health and that we need the economy, economy to be healthy too. So overall, Elaine, I think it's a balance and we can see governments all over the world striving to achieve that balance as they walk along the tightrope um, of uh, keeping the economy going and mm. keeping people locked down, including here in the UK. Let's end on the topic that we began with, leadership. Um, you're a leader in the healthcare industry. You were a leader in the management consulting world in well-known consulting organizations. You've been a leader for many years in the military. We've all seen that meme and phrase, leadership is a privilege. Do you agree, John, and tell us why? Well, I think over my working life thus far, I have been extremely fortunate to fill leadership roles. And while I have fulfilled them, I've striven to serve those people in my charge as a leader. Yes, I absolutely regard it as a privilege indeed. I think these days, these days everybody, everywhere because of the, the pandemic we've talked about, you can see good leaders adapting and directing with clarity. You can see them supporting and you can see them inspiring. Good leadership in crisis and the rest of the time really is for me, about intelligent humanity and it's absolutely about service so fundamentally for me i i consider myself blessed to have had the opportunity for to fulfill the role of leader for so many people for so many years mm -hmm. um, and that's what it means to me now that concludes this episode of the look back series i hope you enjoyed these snippets and do check out the full original episodes in the show notes. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Thank you.
podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.